Welcome to the Tuesday, 12th of December, 2023 episode of the Greenwich Town for All Season Show podcast, where we connect you to the history of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. I'm Jeffrey Bingham Mead, your host, a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of Greenwich, Connecticut, and as always, it's my pleasure to welcome you. The Greenwich Town for All Season Show podcast is made possible by Alexander Affiliates, Eastern Neurologic Services of New York, Mr. Kevin M.J. O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, and listeners like you everywhere. Coming up on today's show. On Greenwich in the Gilded Age, wedding bells rang in 1925 when Isabel, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Percy Rockefeller, became the bride of Frederick W. Lincoln Jr. here in Greenwich. On Greenwich life as it is and was, Edwin Edwards concludes his 1919 narrative about Greenwich's oldest village. We know it today as Old Greenwich. Catherine A. Minkler joins the show to announce the founding of Business Leaders for Sustainability. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in Greenwich. Wrongdoings and misdeeds are all the rage in crimes and misdemeanors. We will have all this and more as our history continues to unfold. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. Support is made possible by... A landscape architecture firm with an optimistic view of the future, Alexander Affiliates is a professional landscape architectural firm specializing in designing and planning visually appealing, functional, and environmentally responsible outdoor spaces for residential and commercial developments. From backyard perennial garden preparation to regional coastal planning, we have you covered. In addition, we serve a global clientele that has brought in a lot of business for us through word-of-mouth referrals. Some of Alexander Affiliate's clients include construction companies, land and property developers, government offices, engineering companies, geographers, and soil samplers. Its mission is simple. Instead of focusing on saving the planet, let's concentrate on thriving together. In business since 1980, you can learn more about Alexander Affiliates by going online to alexanderaffiliates.com. To learn more and to contact Alexander Affiliates, you can call 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. Its mailing address is P.O. Box 711, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06836. Eastern Neurological Services of New York offers comprehensive neurologic diagnoses and therapeutic services. Dr. Judy Gao, MD, a top New York neurologist, specializes in dynamic treatment of neurological diseases, neurorehabilitation, and physical therapy. With convenient locations in New York City and a multilingual staff, Eastern Neurological Services offers a wide array of treatments for neurological disorders, including general neurological consultations, on-site diagnostic testing, and physical and neurocognitive therapy. Now, the most trusted platform for medical products you need is available for you at HealthSite.com. 
pro.com. Shop online for the best in preventative medicine and health maintenance. These products are used by Dr. Gao and her family, and if they're good enough for them, well, they're good enough for you as well. Visit easternneurologic.com or call 212-889-6540 or 212-227-6500. Well, thank you, Kevin M.J. O'Connor, Vice President of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, knowledgeable in the complexities of the financial markets with a passion for servicing clients and their financial needs. My friends, learn more at jeffreymatthews.com or call Kevin M.J. O'Connor at his Greenwich office, telephone 203-485-7595. Again, that's Kevin M.J. O'Connor, his Greenwich office, at 203-485-7595. Welcome to Talk of the Town, where we engage in informative conversation with present-day movers and shakers in the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. My guest today is a senior marketing executive with numerous accomplishments in management, communications and branding, company and strategic partnership development, and so much more. Catherine A. Minkler, is the founder and chairman of Business Leaders for Sustainability. You can learn more by going to businessleadersforsustainability.org. We met at Coffee for Good, 48 Maple Avenue in Greenwich, this past Friday morning. Here is our conversation. Uh, Catherine, what is the mission of Business Leaders for Sustainability? Uh, Business Leaders for Sustainability is an international group of C-suite executives uh, focused on developing sustainability educational resources, sharing best practices, and facilitating measurable collaborations. I'm curious, what was the catalyst that caused you to found this nonprofit? I have been working in the ESG, environmental social governance space for several years now and the market is just starting to finally take off. One of the really interesting things that's happening is that up until now public companies have been involved in because they have to be involved but now you're starting to see private companies needing to take action And whether it's because of regulations, whether it's because of financing, whether it's because of insurance, whether it's because of consumers, private companies by and large are not in a position to hire a chief of sustainability. This is a brand new business requirement. Our group is really designed to help that that particular CEO, Chief of Marketing, and Chief Financial Officer. Now, you have written, you have said, uh, quote-unquote, sustainability means different things to different people and communities. I agree with that, by the way. Uh, So um, uh, talk to us, explain that a little bit in more detail, if you would, please. So it's kind of interesting. As I, I mentioned before, I have been working in the ESG space. ESG has uh, regrettably become politicized. It has also been, there have been a number of detractors. The new catch-all really is sustainability. Again, sustainability means different things to different people. What, whatever that cause is that is particular to you, 
but there is a common thread when you talk about sustainability. What it means is taking action that is not only good for the current uh, time, but is also focused on a better future. So it's really that thinking about the future, incorporating that into your uh, business, your, your, your personal life, that is the common thread. Now you also wrote, and this caught my eye too, consumers are increasingly proving that companies and brands' sustainability practices are important. Uh, provide me um, you know, with, uh, with a few examples that you could think of. Well, the, the most interesting example that I can point to, and I think it's, uh, in, in my world, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's been a bellwether event. It just happened in the last two months. But Apple came out with a remarkable advertisement based on ESG. And to me, that told me that the market has arrived. The consumer really cares, and that's why brands are starting to pay attention. I wanted to uh, ask you, how does one become a member of Business Leaders for Sustainability? Talk to me about that. First of all, um, you need to be a C-suite executive. So you want to be a, a CEO, a founder of a company. It can be a small company. It could be a big company. You could have a chief of financial, a chief financial officer, a chief marketing officer. But what we're trying to do specifically is create a, a peer group where leaders feel comfortable sharing uh, and these are people that are decision makers and, and, and that's what we're, fo we're focused on fairly uniquely to any other group involved in the sustainability space. A comparable might be something like a YPO. My next question as we start to, uh, to wind down is what are some examples of initiatives Project, uh, projects, sorry, uh, or uh, learning opportunities um, that um, through your organization uh, we will see here in the Greenwich, Connecticut area. We are planning to do in-person events, mm -hmm. probably right around one every six weeks. We will also include virtual uh, events for members. And at those meetings, they, they, they again will be educational in, in nature. Some will be panel discussions, some might be an author presenting a book. Um, some of the topics that I'm excited about are going to be the intersection of sustainability and uh, artificial intelligence, the circular economy, um, we have a fabulous member who is really the person in the world helping to companies, uh, venues, and events to be sustainable, so he's going to be talking to us. We have a couple of members here in town that are doing some really interesting things in the carbon footprint area and, and how they are managing their business. I think it'll be a real surprise and eye-opener to a number of people. But what I'm super excited about is our launch event 
Uh, we're working with a company out of Westport called JLP Productions. I met them through a mutual friend. They asked me actually to do some work and help them to expand into Greenwich. I love what they do. They're a theater group. They focus on short, often one-act plays of impact. They have a production a series of productions that they do here in Greenwich every winter called Play With Your Lunch. Uh, but in this case, what they're doing is they, ha they are selecting a play on sustainability and also on climate change. It'll be a one-act play. People will have an opportunity to listen to the performance. It's, it's uh, minimal props. It's done with typically actors and actresses that come up from Broadway. We'll listen to the play, we'll have a great discussion, and then we'll of course have some great food and wine. How can we learn more about Business Leaders for Sustainability and uh, how can we contact you? Uh, the best way to contact me is uh, my email. It's Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, at Leaders for Sustainability dot or our, our website is businessleadersforsustainability.org uh, and you can also call me at my on, on my telephone number 203-788-7151 uh, and I look forward to hearing from you and, and, and learning more about what you're doing in this exciting area and how we can help. Catherine Minkler of Business Leaders for Sustainability, I want to thank you so much for spending a few moments with me today. It's a pleasure to meet you and good luck on, on this new venture. We wish you much success. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here today, Jeff, at this beautiful Coffee for Good. Well, Greenwich, Connecticut's Gilded Age era was a remarkable time when wealthy Americans constructed splendid mansions, outbuildings, and designed landscapes. But you know what they also did? They also had fabulous weddings. And I'm going to share news with you about one that happened back in 1925. And this was of the Rockefeller family. Uh, this was published in the Greenwich News and Graphic on December 25th of that year. And it announces the... Uh, upcoming wedding uh, for Isabel Rockefeller, the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Percy Rockefeller, um, who had uh, a great estate um, here in, um, in Greenwich. A wedding of unusual interest, says the story, in society circles here and in New York will take place tomorrow afternoon at 3.30 o'clock in Christ Episcopal Church. That would be Christ Church Greenwich today. When Miss Isabel Rockefeller, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Percy A. Rockefeller of 800 Park Avenue and Greenwich will become the bride of Frederick W. Lincoln Jr. of New York and Greenwich. The ceremony will take place in Christ Episcopal Church here. The Reverend Dr. John Lewis of Waterbury, Connecticut, assisted by the Reverend Dr. George Alexander of the First Presbyterian Church, New York, will officiate. The array reception will follow at a 
Owen Oak Farm, that's the great estate I mentioned, the Rockefeller home on Lake Avenue. This is the second union in the Rockefeller M. Lincoln families, Miss Florence Lincoln having married William A. Rockefeller several years ago. Miss Rockefeller is a grandniece of John D. Rockefeller and is a graduate of the Westover School. She is a member of the Junior League New York. Mr. Lincoln is a graduate of Princeton University, class of 1921. He has just recently become associated in business with his father in the New York office of Henry W. Peabody and Company Exporters. The couple will spend their honeymoon in Buenos Aires, South America, where Mr. Lincoln will visit one of the several branches of the Henry W. Peabody and Company. During the World War, he was in the, the aviation service and was about to go overseas when the armistice was signed. He is a, me- a member of the Princeton Club of New York. The wedding was indeed held the next day, and it was described in the Friday, October 2nd, 1925 edition of the Greenwich News and Graphic, and I will share the details with you, including, by the way, I just want to warn you, a a rather uh, long and detailed list of um, prominent people who were there. So uh, uh, the story goes as follows. Rockefeller wedding and event, indeed it was. Thousands were present. John D. Sr. and Jr. were there. And the story goes as follows. The wedding of Miss Isabel Rockefeller, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Percy A. Rockefeller of Lake Avenue, Greenwich, and 300 Park Avenue, New York, and Frederick Walker Jr., son of Mr. and Mrs. Frederick W. Lincoln of North Maple Avenue, Greenwich, and 1148 Park Avenue, New York, for which 4,500 invitations had been issued, took place at Christ Episcopal Church last Saturday afternoon at 3.30 o'clock. The church was beautifully decorated with Easter lilies. Reverend John N. Lewis of Waterbury, where Miss Rockefeller attended Westover School, assisted by the Reverend Dr. George Alexander of the First Presbyterian Church of New York, performed the ceremony which was simple and yet elaborate in form. The bride was given in marriage by her father. She wore a gown of point applique lace over white satin with long satin sleeves, the cuffs of which were of rose point, which had been in the Lincoln family for generations. The bride's applique veil was worn by Miss Rockefeller's mother, the former Isabel G. Stillman, and her aunt, Mrs. William G. Rockefeller, who was S.L. Elise Stillman in or at their weddings. The veil was held by a band of rose point. The court train was of white satin. She carried a bouquet of Easter lilies. Miss, Mrs. Avery Rockefeller, formerly Miss Anna Mark of Chicago, sister-in-law of the bride, was matron of honor and Miss Winifred Rockefeller, a sister, maid of honor. They were attired in salmon pink chiffon and tan velvet hats and carried gladiolus. The bridesmaids were Miss Faith Rockefeller, a younger sister of the bride, Miss uh, Amira Rockefeller, a cousin, Miss Emily C. Lincoln, sister of the bridegroom, Miss Helen Lee of New York, Miss Mary B. Thayer of Philadelphia, and Miss Elizabeth Griggs of St. Paul. Their gowns were of blue chiffon with hats of 
uh, let's see, red velvet, and each carried bouquets of salmon gladiolas. Godfrey Rockefeller, son of Mrs. William G. Rockefeller, a cousin of the bride, was best man. The ushers were Avery Rockefeller, brother of the bride, William A. Rockefeller, a cousin, Reginald G. Kenob and Wilson Stapley, Wanham, brothers-in-law of the bridegroom, Thomas McCarter, Jr., Meredith Pine, Charles Merrill, Shapin, Jr., and Carl Halsey of New York, Richard M. Uh, Ellett, I think, Samuel Welsh, and John H. Whalen, Jr. of Philadelphia, Andrew G. Carey of Baltimore, George Cutter, and George Piper of Minneapolis. The church was crowded with relatives and friends, forming a brilliant company, many of the guests from New York coming in special trains on the New York and New Haven Railroad and returning the same way. Automobiles were lined up both sides of East Putnam Avenue, extending from the Soldiers' Monument to Putts Hill, as well as on Park Avenue and Old Church Road. Ray H. Harrington, organist and the director of the church, or choir director of the church, sorry, played the wedding marches and other selections before and after the ceremony. A large reception followed at Owen Oak, the home of the bride, on Lake Avenue. The library, where the bride and bridegroom received the guests, was decorated with Easter lilies, while the dining room, where 54 persons were seated at the bridal table was decorated with lilies of the valley. Buffet refreshments were served on the south veranda, which was decorated with orange trees. The east porch was transformed into a dancing pavilion, there being, let's see, um, polar and green trailing vines with, let's see, um, something in bloom with the decorative uh, uh, flowers, I think. Um, Adley and Smith of New York, um, the, the carriage of the uh, of the decorations and Rockefeller House and the church. John D. Rockefeller Sr. R- R- drove over from Bocantico Hills and entered the church with his son, John D. Rockefeller Jr. It happens that 70 years ago last Saturday, Mr. Rockefeller got his first job as he expressed himself as well-pleased that his grandniece had picked out the anniversary for her wedding. He was present at both the ceremony and the reception, which followed and, and shook hands with scores of guests. Early in the evening, Mr. Lincoln and his bride started on their honeymoon trip by motor amid a shower of rice, good wishes, and old shoes and other symbols of good fortune. They first went to Briarcliff Lodge and then to Cleveland Cabin, Saranac Inn, where the late President Grover Cleveland and his bride went after their wedding. Built of logs, it is overgrown with vines and surrounded by spacious gardens. In recent years, it has been leased each season by Mrs. William G. Rockefeller, aunt of the bride, who reserved it again this season. When she decided upon a western trip, Mrs. Rockefeller turned the cabin over to her son and his family, Mr. and Mrs. William A. Rockefeller, and they spent the past season there. Godfrey S. Rockefeller and his wife and Mr. and Mrs. J. Stillman Rockefeller have been occupying another camp 
at Saranac Inn. Later in the year, Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln will go to Buenos Aires and will then return to live in New York. The bride was graduated from Westover, after which she attended Columbia University and subsequently a member of a teaching class there. During the last summer, she worked in the laboratory of the Fifth Avenue Hospital. She is a member of the Junior League and made her debut in New York Society several seasons ago. Mr. Lincoln is a graduate of Princeton University, class of 1921. He is a member of the Princeton Club of New York. Only recently, he became associated with his father in the firm of Henry W. Peabody and Company, which has a branch office in Buenos Aires, where he and his bride will go later. During the World War, he served in the aviation service and was about to go overseas when the armistice was signed. The house guests at the Rockefeller home over the weekend, all of whom attended the dinner dance at the field club later in the evening, included, and here is the very, very long list of people, so bear with me, Mr. and Mrs. L. Buffington of Albany, Mr. and Mrs. Houston, Lawrence Van Ingen, Miss Helen Lee, Miss Geraldine McAlphin, Miss Jennings, Mr. and Mrs. Henry Coe, Mrs. Hugh Oshenclos, all of New York, Mr. and Mrs. Shoyer Jackson of Cooperstown, Mr. and Mrs. Nash of Rye, that would be New York, Miss Betty Griggs, St. Paul, Miss Molly Thayer, Philadelphia, Mr. and Mrs. Brown from Canada, Mr. and Mrs. Eugene Thayer of Philadelphia. Among those invited to the wedding and reception were... Another long list, John D. Rockefeller, Mr. and Mrs. John D. Rockefeller Jr., Mrs. William G. Rockefeller, Mr. and Mrs. Godfrey S. Rockefeller, Mr. and Mrs. J. Stillman Rockefeller, Mrs. William A. Rockefeller, Mr. and Mrs. Fred W. Lincoln, Mr. and Mrs. W. Stapley Wanham, Mr. and Mrs. Reginald Combe, Miss Jesse Prentice, Mr. and Mrs. Ezra Prentice, Mrs. Hugh D. Oshenclaus, Miss Annie B. Oshenclos, Mr. and Mrs. Hugh D. Oshenclos Jr., Miss Annie Jennings, Miss B. Brewster Jennings, Mr. and Mrs. Henry E. Coe Jr., Mr. and Mrs. H. J. McAlpin, Miss Geraldine McAlpin, James Stillman, and Mr. and Mrs. Henry P. Davidson. Dr. and Mrs. Ernest J. Stillman, Mr. and Mrs. Marcellus Hartley Dodge, Mr. and Mrs. Robert K. Prentice, Miss Carolyn Prentice, Reverend Dr. and Mrs. Sartell Prentice, Miss Joan Prentice, Sartell Prentice Jr., Professor and Mrs. W. K. Prentice, Percy R. Pine II, Mr. and Mrs. Atwood Violet, Mr. and Mrs. Winslow T. Williams, Miss Florence Williams, Charles Barry, Miss Edith Barry, Mr. and Mrs. John Bradley, Miss Sarah Bradley, Brands M. Bryan, Mr. and Mrs. Stephen Collins, E. L. Coolidge, Mr. and Mrs. George Coolidge, and Mr. and Mrs. Ernest Coolidge. We have more names. Mr. and Mrs. Charles Merrill Chapin, Mr. and Mrs. Charles Merrill Chapin, Jr., Sir James and Lady Elder, Mr. and Mrs. Lewis Lincoln, Mr. and Mrs. Robert H. McAdoo, Mrs. Francis McAdoo, Mr. and Mrs. Thomas McArthur, 
Mr. and Mrs. F.W. Allen, Mr. and Mrs. Fred B. Adams, Mr. and Mrs. Carl Adams, Mr. and Mrs. Samuel Pryor, Mrs. Henry Satterley, Mr. and Mrs. Franklin Robinson, John Cross, Mr. and Mrs. H.O. Havemeyer, that's a name we know in Greenwich, Miss Carlotta Havemeyer, Mr. and Mrs. James Greenway, Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence B. Van Ingen, Mr. and Mrs. Charles C. Lee, Mr. and Mrs. Edwin Gould, Mr. and Mrs. Fred M. Thayer, Mr. and Mrs. Gilbert Brown, Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence Rossiter, Mr. and Mrs. John A. Browning, Mrs. George Lad, uh, Lauder, sorry, Mr. and Mrs. John Carnegie Jr., Mr. and Mrs. George Church, Mrs. John B. Thayer of Philadelphia, Mr. and Mrs. Harry Croft, another name we know in Greenwich, the Mrs. Croft, Mr. and Mrs. J. Rich Steers Jr., Miss Ruth Morgan, and Mr. and Mrs. A.S. Blagdon. Under the direction of Sergeant Jack Scully of the local police department, traffic was efficiently handled at the church. The sergeant was ably assisted by officers Bryson and Robbins, officers Timothy Daly, and John F. Conlon, in plain clothes, were on duty in the Rockefeller home, and Sergeant James Fahey was in charge of traffic outside, assisted by officers Grissler, Burke, Mullen, Bryson, and Robbins. Officer Bryson and Robbins were mounted on motorcycles. Much credit is due to the two sergeants and officers for the way in which the traffic was handled at both the church and house. The best-kept secret in Greenwich, Connecticut is a marvelous destination with an even more extraordinary mission. Coffee for Good invites you to be a part of a magical story in a restored historic mansion that inclusively brings people together thanks to a unique nonprofit partnership between Abelis and the Second Congregational Church. When you enter the doors of the 1858 Solomon Mead House, you'll be instantly drawn to the warmth and ambiance of Coffee for Good at 48 Maple Avenue. Serving coffee, teas, and delectable goodies and more, Coffee for Good is a self-sustaining teaching platform that trains people with special needs who acquire the skills and self-confidence they need to thrive in the community. Voted Best Coffee Shop by the readers of Greenwich Magazine, honored with the Community Impact Leader Award by the Connecticut Restaurant Association, and now the Jack Moffley Nonprofit Leadership Award, Coffee for Good is open daily, Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Enjoy free parking, free Wi-Fi, as well as year-round indoor and outdoor seating, a popular destination for gatherings, meetings, and a fantastic study spot, too. Coffee for Good is located at 48 Maple Avenue, behind the Second Congregational Church in the Putnam Hill National Historic District. Visit coffeeforgood.org. You're listening to the Greenwich Town for All Season Show podcast, hosted by Jeffrey Bingham Mead. That's me, a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut, the gateway to New England. The Greenwich Town for All Season Show podcast is made possible by Alexander Affiliates, Eastern Neurologic Services, Mr. Kevin M. J. O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, and listeners like you everywhere. Thank you. Well, it's time for Greenwich Life as it is and was. 
This was a column that was published in the Greenwich News and Graphic during the first quarter of the 20th century. This particular column that I'm going to share with you today is a second part to one that uh, appeared the week before. And lo and behold, I actually shared the first uh, part of this uh, column to you on last week's December 5th, 2023 uh, show. Um, It is the second half to one that was entitled Old Town, Now Sound Beach, the Oldest Settlement in Town. Um, And this is by Erwin Edwards. The story goes as follows. Old Town, Now Sound Beach is today quite a large and stirring village, well up to the times in all that is modern, and that denotes progress. Sound Beach gives every evidence that in the near future it will continue to grow in population and in those ways that are in line with the material prosperity of a town or village. It has taken years, yes, many years, when its age is considered, for as stated previously, it was settled in 1640, and that is 279 years ago. For it to come back, but it go well around in that direction a half century ago, and has been making strides toward, strides forward rather since then to make up for lost time. Of course, those who are uh, all at all uh, acquainted with the history of, of Old Town, now Sound Beach, need not to be reminded that this ancient village is very old and the oldest settlement in the town, as stated in the previous article on this subject. But there are some that may not be con- conversant with the fact to be here stated that the first religious society in the town was organized at Old Town, now Sound Beach that the first church building erected in the town was built in Old Town, now Sound Beach, that the first public school session held in the town was in Old Town, now Sound Beach, there's more of this, that the first public school house in town was built in Old Town, now Sound Beach, that the first private school in the town was located in Old Town, now Sound Beach, All town meetings were held at Old Town until 1703, when the town voted to hold such meetings, quote, part of the time in Old Town and part of the time at Horseneck, unquote. Many stirring events happened in the early days in Old Town, which in one way or another link this section to Greenwich closely and with the first settlement of the town. Here occurred incidents and episodes which were of vital nature connected with the Indians the Dutch, the Revolutionary War, and the War of 1812. It was in 1703 when Horseneck, which had been growing some, insisted that the town meetings should be held a portion of the time in that section of the town, that the rivalry between Old Town and Horseneck for supremacy began, until Horseneck gradually assumed the lead in town matters and took the prestige and importance of Old Town away. Oh, well, perhaps one thing that helped as much as any other thing to cause Old Town to lose its importance was that the stagecoach line established between New York and Boston did not touch at Old Town, but left that hamlet some distance one side and followed the King's Highway alongside the Mianus River, making Dumpling Pond at now North Mianus the chief stopping place in those day, in those early years. And then, when the post office was established at Dumpling Pond, that locality became the business center of Old Town, 
was forced to resign its prestige and remained just a small hamlet of the town with no especial importance. In 1660, the settlers of Old Town, to the number of 20, met together for religious services, and that was the beginning of the First Congregational Church of Greenwich, and the church was named the First Congregational Church. The first public schoolhouse of Greenwich was put up in Old Town. It was nothing more than a little one-story log cabin, uh, as crude as could be, and was built in 1667. But it served for other purposes besides. It was used not only for a schoolhouse, but for religious services as well, and was occupied on the Sabbath and at other times by the pious settlers, when such services were held. It was also in this little building that the settlers met to discuss the affairs of the town. It was, indeed, a community building. Three years later, or about seven, or 1670, the first church edifice built in Greenwich was erected by the First Congregational Society. The small wooden building was one story in height and has no chimney in those days and for long years. Afterward, the church had no fires to warm the inside of the structure for reasons that seem now absurd, and the seats were rough and crude. But the building served the purpose of the day and generation. In keeping with the danger of the times and the newness of the wilderness, the worshippers carried their flint-locked guns with them and stood them alongside their seats in the church, ready for instant use, while one or two men stood outside the door to give warning in case the Indians came near. The first congregational church of Old Town was built during its long life, five churches in that section of the town. The first one, the log cabin mentioned, was built in 1679, the second, 1797, the fourth in 1835, this burned to the ground in 1895, and the fifth was erected in 1896. There are very few, if any, religious societies in New England, and particularly in Connecticut, that are older or have had a more stirring life than the First Congregational Church of Old Town, now Sound Beach. Old Town came back, quote-unquote, or rather awoke to new life when its name was changed to Sound Beach. It was the New York and New Haven Road that infused this new life into the old village that gave it the impulse and inclination to arouse from lethargy and not become a deserted hamlet. The first train on the New York and New Haven Road passed through Greenwich in December 1848 on its way to New York City. From that day almost began the new era of progress and prosperity for Sound Beach and the whole town of Greenwich. At Old Town, Old Greenwich, uh, it was called in those days, a station was established, and on the little depot wa that was built there was put the name Sound Beach. It wasn't long after that that a post office was established at Sound Beach by the post office department with an office in the little depot, and Mr. Frank I. Palmer became the station agent and postmaster. Right here, it might not be out of place to mention that the railroad company established four stations in the town of Greenwich at Sound Beach, Riverside, Coscob, and Greenwich. Some years later, Stamford made close connection with Sound Beach by a trolley line, and soon after, the New York and Stamford main trolley line threw out a spur at Adams Corner at the junction of the Post Road to reach that village, all of which helped Sound Beach was put up in... Let's see, 18 or 16, 
21, it's blurred there. The third in, uh, in Beach was to get in full swing with modern life. Okay. This progressive village is now two churches, a public library, a golf club, a summer hotel, and other evidences of a live and flourishing suburban locality. It can justly lay claim to the honor of being the place where the first settlement in the town of Greenwich was made and can point with pride to the fact that it played a very important part in the making of this old town what it is today. The following story about Christmas appeared in the Greenwich Observer, dated December 30th, 1882. There was a very large attendance at the Christmas trees of the Episcopal Church on Saturday afternoon. I'm assuming that that would be Christ Church Greenwich as we know it today. The occasion was unusually interesting, and the young folks were liberally rewarded with presents. On Saturday evening, the Methodist Episcopal Church held its Christmas tree. Santa Claus was present in person, and his gifts were freely bestowed. As usual, the occasion was varied with speaking and singing. The attendance was large. The Second Congregational Church Sunday School also had a Christmas tree on Saturday evening. An elaborate program was provided. The Cantata Emmanuel being sung on the occasion. Besides the usual gifts to the little folks, the pastor was presented with a handsome bearskin lab robe, or lap robe, uh, and a blanket for his horse. Well, that was nice. Miss Julia Bell received a student's lamp and a set of chambers encyclopedia. Mr. Maybe, spelled M-A-B-I-E, was presented by his pupils with a Rogers group of statuary. The church was handsomely decorated. On Monday evening, the Little Bethel held its first Christmas tree. That would be the Little Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church, by the way, over on Lake Avenue across the street from Greenwich Hospital. The room was crowded. The gifts were numerous. Addresses. Singing and recitations occupied the balance of the evening. At the conclusion of the exercises, the pupils of the school were treated to ice cream. The Christmas tree at the Presbyterian Church was also well attended. The gifts to the scholars were numerous and beautiful. Purses liberally filled were presented to Reverend Dr. Sawyer, Mr. B.A. Russell, the organist, and Charles Green Sexton. A very interesting program was provided, and on its conclusion, refreshments were supplied to the school. Crimes and Misdemeanors, that's the title of this segment in which we report historical crimes that were committed in the town of Greenwich. The one that we have for you today is dated from, or it was published rather, in December 14, 1923. The headline on this is Young Hooch Runners. New Haven youths uh, caught with 15 barrels of alcohol. This was during the time of Prohibition. Anyway, John Castrione of 107 Anthony Street, Westville, Connecticut, and Peter Quintano of 122 Amity Road of New Haven, aged 19 and 18 years respectively, were arrested by state officers Baker and Pallon 
on Tuesday evening for transporting liquor without a permit in their motor truck, there were 15 50-gallon barrels of alcohol. Young men were each held under $2,500 bail and are still enjoying the hospitality of the police in the lockup, being unable to procure bonds. An analysis of the alcohol is being made by Dr. A.G. Bennett, bacteriologist, and the cases were adjourned on Wednesday morning until yesterday, when they went over again until today. It is claimed by the defendants that the barrels contained denatured alcohol. And that, my friends, is Crimes and Misdemeanors, in which we pause to commemorate the 1906 founding of the Greenwich Police Department. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Tuesday, 12th of December, 2023 episode of the Greenwich to Town for All Seasons show podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Bingham Mead. The Greenwich to Town for All Seasons show podcast was made possible by Alexander Affiliates, Eastern Neurologic Services of New York, Mr. Kevin M.J. O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, and listeners like you everywhere. Contact me at Greenwich at Town for All Seasons at gmail.com. Learn more about the show and about Greenwich, Connecticut's history by listening to past shows by going to Greenwich at Town for All Seasons.blogspot.com. Please look for the show on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media platforms and like those, please. Our next show is scheduled for Tuesday, the 19th of December, 20. 2023. I'm looking forward to being with you next week. Take good care. See you then. Bye-bye.